a good move. Why'd you dance him? Dancing is forbidden. crew welcome to dancing is forbidden and aqua teen hunger force exploration i am ronnie and on this podcast i am watching through and talking about every aqua teen episode one episode at a time and the episode we are watching through and talking about this week is season two episode 23 the cloning you were the better cheerleader well i was no slouch did you see me do those cartwheels <laughs> I identify with that. The cloning premiering December 31st, 2003. And I know all you calendar freaks right now, all you Gregorian fanboys are freaking out saying, wait a second, that's the last day of the year. You are correct, Amundo, my friend. December 31st of 2003 on Adult Swim was known as Bashington's New Year's Eve party. And I know you're probably flipping through your 2003 calendar right now saying, Hey, what day does December 31st fall on? This is indeed a Wednesday night, not a Sunday night. So uncharted territory here on the podcast. You might be shaking and crying saying, I don't know what to do with this information. This is this is too scary. It's all right. We'll get through it together. Wednesday, December 31st, 2003. The cloning is premiering alongside right after it, the last one. So we have two brand new Aqua Teen episodes premiering on the same night. Exciting times. We'll get more into that in a little bit. But back to the cloning. This is one that, in my memory, I always liked. It wasn't one of my favorites, but I have always enjoyed it. And I dig that this is one of those darker, more unsettling episodes of Aqua Teen, similar to Broodwitch, but taken maybe even a little bit further. So I'm excited to dig into it. And of course, in this episode, we will be talking about the Volume 3 DVD special feature, How to Score Big, Making Money Writing for Television, that feature has Matt Malero, Dave Willis. They are working on this script. So it's really cool. You can literally see this episode being written on the DVD. So we'll be referencing that. You can see that video on my YouTube channel. Link to that in the show notes. But all right, before we get more into this episode of Aqua Teen, you know, we've got some other stuff to talk about. We've got a little bit of news this week. You know, some really low-key information. Something called Aqua Teen Forever Plantasm came out. Uh, not really sure what that is. But it came out. I haven't seen it. I don't think it's very important. I think it's a fan movie or something. All right, this this is a stupid fucking joke. Yes, of course, Plantasm came out. I'm not really going to be getting into it here other than saying that, yeah, I saw it. I loved it. I thought it was great. I like it a lot more than the Colin movie film. If you haven't seen it, you need to buy it now and watch it. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how you're listening to an Aqua Teen podcast, but you're not interested in seeing the brand new Aqua Teen movie. Kind of weird. Kind of sus. But hey, you do you. Of course, if you want to buy the film, link in the show notes. I've got affiliate links for the 4K version, the Blu-ray version, and the digital version. You buy it from Amazon at no additional cost, and then they kick a few bucks back my way to help with the podcast. How about that? Otherwise, it will be coming to HBO Max, but that won't be until the beginning of 2023. There is no date on that yet. And like I've been saying, if you want Aqua Teen to come back, the best way to help with that is to buy the movie now. So that's it for the film talk. I'll bring it up at a later date. But to jump back and talk about an older Aqua Teen film, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters, last week on the Discord Speed Beats, also known as Ian, the very Ian you hear shouted out at the end of every episode, 
Ian hosted a watch party. We watched through the Japanese version of the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. The Japanese dub, rather. And it was awesome. It was just such a great experience. You know, I didn't get to see the colon movie film in theaters back in 2007. And this was a really cool, close experience to that because I got to watch it with a lot of you and, you know, just a lot of Aqua Teen fans. We were all just watching it and typing to each other at the same time. It was really fun. But beyond that... Again, the movie was dubbed in Japanese, and something I didn't expect is the people who dubbed it, they actually came up with, like, original jokes, and they changed some stuff in the dialogue, and, and of course, this was in Japanese, I don't speak Japanese, but Ian does, and he would cut in and, and explain to us, like, what's going on and, and what they're talking about, and I found myself laughing at so many of these alternate jokes that they came up with. For this film, some of the jokes I thought were even funnier than the actual English jokes in the film. But again, it was just a great time. I'm so thankful to Ian. And if you could not make it, there is a link in the show notes because Ian, he recorded this. So you can go back and watch it just like, you know, we watched Day Of. Of course, you won't get that interactive element with the rest of the community. But you can check this out and, and see how the Japanese dub differs and everything like that. I would definitely suggest it. I mean, it, it's just so worth it. Check it out. Link in the show notes. And again, thank you to Ian for that. It was such a cool experience. You know, if it wasn't for this experience, I never would have known that in Japanese, Dr. Weird's name is Dr. Hentai. So you can learn all about that via the link in the show notes. But all right, I think that's it for our Aqua Teen News, our community stuff. If it's okay with you, and I'm sure it is, Let's go take a little peek and see what was going on at the end of 2003, the week that the cloning premiered. As an absolute surprise to nobody, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, they're still the top dogs at this last week in 2003, bringing in another $50 million this week. Very impressive because it takes me a whole month doing this podcast to make $50 million, and they're doing it in just a week, so kudos to them. Of course, in our coverage of The, the episode that aired previous to the cloning, Return of the King had just came out and was just dominating the box office. They're still doing it with one arm tied behind their back. They've already been out and they're still dominating. No surprise here. I mean, this is the last Lord of the Rings film. And I think we've talked about all of them on the podcast. I could be wrong, but I feel like we have. And that's just always how it is. Lord of the Ring comes out and it, it destroys. Do you like how I said Lord of the Ring there? I fucked up. Uh, there's, I guess there's only one ring to rule them all, right? So why not just call it that? I don't know. But I guess that's where we leave our Lord of the Ring talk because I have not seen all these films. I've talked about it to death here. Let's move on to television. Very sad because on this night, and we will get to this, this is called foreshadowing. It's a, it's a literary technique. The Brack Show ends tonight. That, that's our television news. The Brack Show, this is their last episode, but we'll get more into that once we get into our Adult Swim lineup. So moving on from that, let's listen to what our top album this week is. 2003, it's it's dying. It's almost over. What are people dancing to and jiggling to on the way out? That's right. We have Lady Gaga's The Fame closing out 2003. And <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just fucking with you. I bet you were like, wait, what? That came out in 2003? No, I'm just I'm just trolling. Uh, let's listen to the real album, a, a less exciting album, uh, if I do say so myself, that came out uh, that was topping the charts at the end of 2003. Let's give it a listen. I'm sorry. 
And I'm sorry, sorry, in case I don't tell you. Tell you December, I'm sorry. It's like staying out night and way too much. We have Ruben Stuttered's debut album, the second season American Idol winner. Of course, we've talked about this guy on the pod before. We also talked about uh, the guy he beat, Clay Aiken. Well, now it's Ruben's time to shine because his album's finally out. I'm realizing now I didn't tell you the name of the album. The album is called Soulful. Wait, let me try, let me try that again. Soulful? Oh my God. It's like, what? once you say it, it just sounds weird. Uh, anyways, yeah, it's called Soulful. Oh my God. That sounds so bizarre. That, that single is Sorry. I really liked how he just named all the months there. Reminded me of uh, Rabot, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that kind of thing. And yeah, this is the best-selling album. Ruben finally came out with, with a record, but it is not really received that well. Now, to be clear, Ruben Stuttered can fucking sing. Dude's got a great voice, but this album is like super overproduced. Uh, the songs don't really lend to his voice. It's like, yeah, it sounds nice, but he could do way better stuff than this. So the album isn't really held in that high regard, although of course it did sell well. It is our highest selling album this week with 416 and a half thousand units moved this week alone. And back to that uh, that single called Sorry 2004. I wonder why they called it that. Uh, I mean, it, it rhymes and everything. Maybe, uh, I guess I, I don't know the lyrical content of the song, but this album did come out the 9th of December. So maybe they're like, ah, fuck, man, we got to like posture this for, for next year because it's coming out the last month of, of 2003. Who knows? But yeah, that's our top album this week. Ruben Stuttered with Soulful. <laughs> oh my God. It's such a weird word. Anyways, onto our top tracks this week. It's the same as it's always been. We've got Hey Ya by Outkast and Numb by Linkin Park with our, uh, you know, top track and our top alternative track. So I want to take this time to discuss something that I didn't even realize came out at this time. And it's not music, but it is recorded audio. I was in downtown Boise, Idaho, and I saw a duck. And I knew the duck was lost, because ducks ain't supposed to be downtown. There's nothing for them there. So I went to a Subway sandwich shop. I said, let me have a bun. But she wouldn't sell me just the bun. She said I had to have something on it. She told me it's against regulations for Subway to sell just the bun. I guess the two halves ain't supposed to touch. So I said, all right, we'll put some lettuce on which I did. They said, that'll be $1.75. I said, it's for a duck. They said, all right, well, then it's free. See, I did not know that. Ducks eat for free at Subway. Had I known that, I ordered a much larger sandwich. Let me have the steak fajita sub. But don't bother ringing it up. It's for a duck. There are six ducks out there, and they all want sun chips. The album I am talking about here is Mitch Altogether. Mitch Hedberg's second comedy album came out December 9th, 2003, the same day that Ruben Stuttered's album came out. How about that? But yeah, this is Mitch's first real comedy album to come out because his first one called Strategic Grill Locations was self-released. This one was released by Comedy Central, I think, or or just some sort of, you know, a comedy label at the time. And so, yeah, this was like his his major label debut, I guess, for lack of a better term. He even opens up this this stand up album with like, oh, yeah, this CD is going to be in stores. My last CD wasn't in stores. And he jokes about how he would go into stores to uh, leave it there so people could buy it. But yeah, uh, I didn't hear this album until I think 2005, because I first heard about Mitch Hedberg 
when I saw him on Comedy Central back in the day, and then at the end of his stand-up, because it was like one of the funniest things I ever saw as a kid. I used to watch Comedy Central stand-up a lot when I was younger, and so I would have been about 11 at the time, and I saw the stand-up, and then at the end it said, you know, in memory of Mitch Hedberg, because he passed away in 2005, and I was like so bummed. And at the time, at my house, we didn't have a computer or internet, so I couldn't like look the guy up or anything like that. But then we went to my cousin's house, and she had this this CD, Mitch All Together. So we sat there and listened to it, my mom, me, and uh, my cousin, and just just laughing at, at how funny it was. And yeah, Mitch Hedberg, I've talked about him on the show before, because he was actually in Saddle Rash, an early adult swim pilot that had H. John Benjamin, Todd Berry. It, it was uh, created by Lauren Bouchard, who went on to make... Bob's Burgers, and before that had done home movies. So Mitch Hedberg, he actually was in home movies as well. And uh, yeah, he was kind of like on the sidelines of Adult Swim in the early years, but unfortunately passed away in 2005. And that, you know, that was the end of his story, which sucks because he's one of my favorite comedians. He's, he's one of those comedians I listen to to fall asleep because I've heard his, his stand up so many times. Before I end this Mitch chat, let me just play you one of my favorite jokes of all time from his earlier album, Strategic Grill Locations, which was re-released in 2003, although I am not sure when that was. Let's give this little joke a listen. I wake up in the morning, I make myself a bowl of instant oatmeal, then I don't do shit for an hour. Which makes me wonder why I need the instant oatmeal. I can get the regular oatmeal and feel productive. What are you gonna do, make oatmeal? You know it. In terms of our video games this week, we actually have a video game coming out, which is surprising because it's a pretty big game and a pretty well-loved game coming out at the tail end of 2003. Notice there I said tail, add an S to that, you have Tails, one of the characters in this game. We have Sonic Heroes coming out on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and GameCube in Japan and Korea at the end of 2003, the very tail end of it. And then in early 2004, it'll come to the West and, and everywhere else in the world. But the interesting thing about this and the reason I listed all those platforms is because up until this point, to my knowledge, every Sonic game had been on a Sega system. So like the Sega Genesis, the Dreamcast, well, at this point, Sega had backed out of the console market, and now they are releasing these games for the first time, again, to my knowledge, on other platforms, which opened up, you know, the doors for a lot of other people to play these games who didn't have Sega systems in the past. So because of that, these games are very loved because it was a lot of people's first exposure to Sonic. And this game, Sonic Heroes, is really still admired today. It's, it still seems to hold up. It's still in a lot of people's, you know, list of favorite Sonic games. I never played this one, but I've been watching some footage of it, and it looks fun. The graphics still hold up, too, for being, you know, a 2003 game. But it's a 3D platform game where you are kind of, like, racing through levels is my impression of it. But there's some, some classic Sonic gameplay that you come to love. But yeah, I was surprised to see a, a big Sonic game coming out at this point. But again, that's just in Japan and, and Korea, and then that won't come into to the U.S. You know, this is a U.S.-centric podcast until 2004. I'm seeing January of 2004. But still, cool to talk about a big game, because normally at the end of the year, as if you've been listening to the other deep dives, it's like, eh, there's nothing coming out. So, so pretty cool here. And I just love reading the YouTube comments on this one because it's just everyone like, Nostalgia, I love this game so much. And hey, that's what it's all about. That's what we're doing with the teens right now. Well, at least I am. Love to see other people doing it with other stuff. So yeah, that is our pop culture for the end of 2003. 
And uh, normally we would move on to the Adult Swim lineup here, but uh, we're not doing that today because there's actually a whole lot more to this story than I anticipated. So I'm going to be dedicating an entire episode to covering this night because in between all of the new episodes they were premiering, you know, they had two Aqua Teens, Brack Show, also being the last Brack episode, new C-Lab, all sorts of stuff. They, they played what was essentially the best way I could describe it as is an episode that was a mashup of all these characters hanging out at Brack's house. Brack was having a party. It was basically his send-off party in a way. And they have all these William Street characters coming in from Aqua Teen. You have all of the Aqua Teens and Carl featured very heavily here. You have the C-Lab characters, Space Ghost, and a bunch of other George Lowe characters. It's just one of the coolest things I've ever seen, and I did not know it existed. And typically when they would do things like this for special events, they would have, say, a 30-second Aqua Teen centric bump that they would play before Aqua Teen. And then if this were any other episode, I would just, you know, take out that bump, throw it into, you know, the, the episode here. You'd hear it and we would move on. But the Aqua Teens are featured so heavily here. They are in about half of it. So I'm like, shit, I, I, there's no way I could cut this up. I have to cover the whole thing because the Aqua Teens play such a, a an, an integral part of the episode that they are playing as bumps between the actual episode premieres. And it's all new dialogue, all new, you know, voice recordings, everything. It's just, it's, they put so much effort into this. So we're going to be talking about that next week alongside the lineup of new episodes. So I'm very excited for that. Hope you're looking forward to it. If you have not seen that, no worries. You don't need to because the animation itself is pretty standard. They're just kind of standing around Brack's house and, and some of the characters are interacting. So for example, you have Carl from Aqua Teen and Debbie from C-Lab interacting. You have Meatwad and Brack hanging out in Brack's bedroom. They're playing around and stuff. So I'm so stoked. We'll dive into it next week. So stoked for that. So in the meantime, hey, what do you say we talk about the cloning? Check it out. Trying to lose weight? Trying to live a healthier lifestyle? Trying to look good for your next TV appearance? Then try the nutritional craze shaking the nation, the chicken skin diet. Top scientists have discovered that chicken muscle actually slows you down, fattens you up, and clogs your pipes. And I'm talking all your pipes. But chicken skin will help you maintain a fit body and sharp mind. And your pipes, well, they'll be clean as a whistle and ready for anything you could throw their way. Trust me, I eat chicken skin before every recording session, and you like this podcast, right? Then it must be good. Use checkout code DANCINGISFORBIDDEN at your nearest Kentucky Fried Chicken to receive three free chicken skin tags with your next order of chicken skin. Again, that is checkout code DANCINGISFORBIDDEN for three free chicken skin tags. But alright, this is the part of the show where I usually ask you, say, hey, if you like this podcast and you want to keep going, then I need your help, I need your support. Head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash dancing is forbidden. But honestly, I'm going to be real with you here. The conversion rate from listener to supporter of the show is pretty goddamn astronomical. I usually hear the percentage is like 2%, and we are way, way above that. So that tells me, hey, maybe I should focus more on getting more people to listen to the podcast. So if you could tell one person, one stinking person about the podcast... That would mean the world to me. Or if you're in a group, an Aqua Teen group, if you post about the podcast, now don't be spammy. But for example, over on the Aqua Teen Hunger Force Assemble Facebook page, we had Nicholas posting about the show, but he, he wrote what he liked about the episode. He talked about the shaving. He really liked the episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nicholas. And if you're saying, look, Ronnie, I'm not in any Facebook groups. I'm not in any communities talking teens. 
and I don't know anybody who likes Aqua Teen, well then, you know what? Walk up to the mirror, tell yourself about the podcast, and also give yourself a compliment, why don't you? Come on, you deserve it. Coming up next, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. The cloning premiered December 31st, 2003 with a TV-14 rating originally, and now I'm seeing that it currently airs with a TV-14V rating for violence, which I think is very fair considering all of the, uh, the stuff they see on the TV is pretty graphic, so I think that's a fair rating. In terms of our guest voice actors on this one, we have a few. We have Scott Hilly coming back playing George Washington at the end of the episode, and you may be wondering which episode he was previously in, and it's alright if you forgot, because it was a while ago that we covered it, because he played Flargan in Escape from Leprechopolis, the second episode of the series, and now, you know, all these episodes later, he is coming back to play George Washington. And I talked about Scott Hilly a little bit in that episode, but he would go on to be in Squidbillies playing the Reverend, so he's in a ton of those episodes. Scott was an Atlanta guy. I'm seeing he was born in Atlanta and then uh, passed away in 2015 uh, at the age of 62, pretty young in Atlanta as well. So that is that is Scott, at least, uh, you know, from, from what I could see what he did on Adult Swim. We also have Nick Inkatanawat playing the Muffin Man who who appears on the TV when Meatwad's watching TV. Nick, he's a, he was a PA on the show at the time. He went on to eventually become a producer on the show. We've talked about Nick a ton, so I'll leave that there. And then last but not least, we have Todd Malero doing what I assume is some of the la-la-la voices we hear coming from the TV when Meatwad is watching it at a certain point. And I'm guessing that Todd is Matt Malero's brother, but that's all that you can see on his IMDb page. He's not an actor or anything like that, so that's all I'll say about Todd there. Just, uh, I guess, wanted to be on TV or something, or, or just Matt hooked him up with this little role I think is pretty cool. And speaking of Matt, of course, we have Matt in this episode voicing Ur because at the beginning of the episode, our Dr. Weird clip, we have the Moon and Knights talking with Dr. Weird and Steve. So let's head into that now. Our Dr. Weird opening, our, our skit, and this is our last one for a very long time. Pretty sad, you know, we've always had one opening these episodes and it's about to go away because our, our last episode of season two does not have a cold open. And then in, in season three, they have the Space Kataz pilot cut up. So we'll talk about that once we get to it. But yeah, this is it for a long time. This is the last classic Dr. Weird opening. So to set things up visually, we have a super close shot on Steve's face and he's talking and then we see he's talking to a, a computer monitor and we see the Moon and Knights on the monitor. And then eventually we pull out and the gag is that Dr. Weird and Steve have become one. Literally, we have Steve's head, we have Dr. Weird's head and in between them is some sort of weird mass of flesh and like I see red in between. It's almost like mutilated flesh or something holding them together. It's very strange. Also, when we saw Steve's head before the uh, pullout, it, you could see that he was kind of like, it looked like he was laying on one of the control boards that they have in Dr. Weird's lab. So you knew something was up. Very short clip. Very fun. I think it's time to give it a listen. Our very last Dr. Weird skit until a long ways away. Uh, yeah, well, well, listen, we would love to make the ice cream social, but, um, but what, Steve? Yeah, lie to us. We've uh, kind of gotten behind at work. We have become one! <laughs> so that's it. We have become one! Before we delve into this, I want to play you, there's a deleted scene of this. It actually went on much longer, so let me play you that one. 
Yeah, well, well, listen, we would love to make the ice cream social, but, um... But uh, what, Steve? Yeah, lie to us. We've, uh, kind of gotten behind at work. We have become one! <laughs> um, yeah, one. Well, I'm sorry to hear your sorry excuse. Pathetic. And you'll be sorry to hear the noise Er will now make. Er, use your purple buttocks to cut forth the digital cheese. Unload the scent. The future scent. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Press two for another one. So we have Er spreading his leg and farting and kind of flying up in the air. Very reminiscent to me of Terrence and Philip from South Park, the way those guys kind of kick their leg out and fart and kind of jump around and stuff. Really similar to that. And yeah, it's the same same thing as the official version, just with a lot more tacked on at the end. And I'm glad they cut it. I think the way they cut it, because the big payoff there is we have become one. Just cut it there. We don't need to hear them keep talking about stuff. Uh, I, th I think that was a good call, but cool to see, you know, what they had in store, really, what what they planned to do initially, but it seems like it got dropped in the edit, rightfully so, I think. So on to that clip itself. That was our first time seeing the Moon Knights and Dr. Weird and, and Steve interact, although we can assume they did before, because remember in, in season one, both the season one episodes with the Moon Knights, Revenge of the Moon Knights and Mayhem of the Moon Knights, we saw the Moon Knight ship come down at the beginning of those clips, but we didn't see them interact, but... Later in uh, Mayhem of the Moon and Nights, they had Dr. Weird's guitar. So you would think they had some sort of interaction. And the way that they talk here makes it seem like they, they kind of know each other because there's no introduction. There's no, hey, who are you? Obviously, for, for timing reasons, that makes sense. But yeah, that's what makes me think they had had some sort of interaction before this. And then as you know, you know, I, I covered the Colin movie film over on the Patreon. We've talked about it there, how the Moon and Nights interact with Dr. Weird there, of course. So that's where I'm going to leave this discussion on the opening because it does kind of relate to the next episode to air this night, the last one. So I'll pick this up when we cover the last one. This That way we'll have some Dr. Weird talk uh, in that episode because, yeah, it, we'll talk about it then. It, it does relate to that next episode, which I think is really cool. It's kind of a, a bigger scope than we're used to from the show at this point. Before we jump into our episode proper, I want to reiterate again that on the Volume 3 DVD, there is a documentary where you see Dave and Matt writing this episode. Then we also get a table read. We have Matt, Dave, Jay, and Ned there. So uh, Matt and Dave and then the two editors and producers on the show. And we also have Mike Lazo sitting in as well. So that's pretty cool. Then you have Nick Inkatanawat filming it. And we also get George Lowe showing up at the end, you know, voice of Space Ghost. Yeah, and he plays himself on the show and, he, you know, he's all over Adult Swim. But beyond that, we also get Tom Sharpling in that video, introducing it and, and doing like kind of uh, some some middle and end segues and stuff. And it's really cool because Tom Sharpling, he voiced Willie Nelson in the episode The Shaving. So go listen to that one if you want to know more about him. Very funny in, in this special feature. Again, you could see it on the Dancing is Forbidden YouTube channel. So link to that in the show notes. But it's really cool to go through and see them literally write this episode from start to finish. I have to say there isn't a ton of information that I could glean from this because a lot of what they write ends up in the episode, at least the parts that they show. They don't show them writing the entire thing, which is a bit of a bummer, but, uh, you know, they kind of cut at one point and it's like darker out outside. So, you know, they've been there for a while. I assume like the battery on the camcorder was dying or something like that, but it's absolutely a thousand percent worth watching this. It's about uh, it's 36 minutes I'm seeing and it, every single minute is just is just really fun or informative. And, and just to give you a, a peek behind the curtain of how these episodes were were written in that documentary, it starts out and you see the date and the date is September 22nd, 2003, which is about three months before this episode aired is when they wrote it. And 
I looked into, oh, what was happening on Aqua Teen at that time. That is the day after Super Trivia aired, just to give you an idea. Super Trivia being the 10th episode of season two. Now we are on to the 23rd episode. So yeah, again, September 22nd, 2003 is when they sat down to write this one. And what really kind of surprised me is they didn't really go in with an idea. It wasn't like, hey, I have an idea. How about they clone TVs in this episode or something? There's none of that. They sit down and literally just start like, okay, how does the episode start? And they start with, uh, you know, Shake, Shake is sleeping in the chair. Miwa's watching TV. And that's exactly how this episode starts out. So let's jump into it here. We have Shake sleeping in the chair. Miwa's watching TV and he's watching a show we've seen him watch before. Back in Universal Remonster, Miwa's watching that, that puppet show where it's teaching him his left from his right. And that's what he's watching here, and he's really enjoying it. I love the continuity here. I love to see Meatwad watching the same program, still trying to learn his left from his right. He's not really practicing it this time, like he did in Universal Remonster, but he's really enjoying it. And we get the full cut of that video here, because remember, back in Universal Remonster, it's pretty straightforward. It's just the puppet saying, this is your left, that's your left, this is your right, that's your right, uh, saying by Dave Willis, of course. But in this one, we see the end of it. The, it ends with, you're gonna die, which we did not see in Universal Remonster, but we see it here, kind of setting the tone for the episode. Like, what the heck? It's funny, but also it makes sense as the episode goes on. And we, we will get back into that. I'll put a pin in that for now. So let's jump in and check out Meatwad enjoying one of his favorite TV shows, I assume. But before we do that, I, I forgot to leave you with some important information. Basically, Shake wakes up and then he instantly just pulls out a crossbow with a flaming arrow on it and then shoots the TV with it. So that's what's going to happen here. This is your left, that's your left. This is your left, that's your left. This is your right, that's your right. This is your right, you're going to die. Hey, this is some good TV. Hey, hey, wake up. Yeah. You're missing some good TV. Change it. I'm changing this. This is the best. Change it. To what? <laughs> come on, this is good. Why don't we let the arrow decide? No, don't do it. Oh, come on. <laughs> and now it's changed. The changeling. <laughs> now it's changed. The changeling. So I assume this is a reference to the 1980 horror film, The Changeling. That film stars George C. Scott, and the synopsis on it is, after the death of his wife and daughter in a car crash, a music professor staying at a long, vacant Seattle mansion is dragged into a decades-old mystery by an inexplicable presence in the mansion's attic. So it sounds pretty spooky. I haven't seen it, but maybe it's a little too extreme for me. I don't know. But yeah, I love Meatwad. Genuinely loves this show, even though it's the dumbest fucking thing. So the puppet in that show, as we've discussed back in Universal Remonster, was made by Sunny and Company Toys, and they are thanked again on the end of this episode. As for who the puppeteer is, I'm not sure because there is no puppeteer credited on this episode, but back in Universal Remonster, Jay Edwards, Nick Inkatanawa, Matt Malero, and Dave Willis are all credited as puppeteers on all of those different kind of in-universe shows, which remember we had not only this, but also the bowling show the murder movie that they're watching, or the horror movie, rather, or where there's like, it's like nighttime and there's this creepy puppet killing people, uh, the, the lady in bed telling her husband she has cancer, uh, all those kinds of shows. So there was a lot of shows, so it could be any one of these four guys doing this. As for the music, of course, credits to Video Killed the Radio Star on YouTube for just his massive compilation of all this production music used in Aqua Teen. So check out that channel. There's a link to this in the show notes. If you click that link, it'll just show you all the all the music used in this episode if you want to check anything out. But the music used in this song particularly is called On The Up, which was composed by Ray Russell from the album On The Up by Made Up Music slash Five Alarm Music. That's the publisher's. 
So Ray Russell wrote the music, but then Dave Willis went and I, you know, he wrote the, uh, the melody and the lyrics, I assume for this, we know it's him singing. And I, I, I assume he made up the song, but maybe him and Matt did or, or somebody else. We don't really know who came up with the idea for the song. I guess to quickly describe the show again, in case you've forgotten, it's literally just this puppet uh, singing to the TV and there's this this tie-dye uh, trippy background behind him and it, it pops up on the screen saying left and right when he's saying it. That's really it. Not a whole lot to it. But yeah, Shake, he 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 wants no- nothing to do with this. He pulls out a crossbow with a flaming with a flaming bolt on it and then shoots it and then uh, it explodes the TV. That's it. TV's broken. It has been changed. Frylock hears this commotion. He's going to ask what that was. And then eventually, Shake is going to get up to go over to this closet we have never seen before. We don't really know where it is in the house. But he goes to this closet, and he opens it, and there's nothing in it. And uh, that's that's the closet where they were keeping all of their TVs. So this episode is interesting because it's going to kind of try to explain where their stuff keeps coming from when it breaks. They're going to get to that here, and they're acknowledging it here. Like, yeah, the TV's been broken a ton of times throughout the show, and the reason it kept coming back was because they had a closet full of them, and, and they'll expand on that a little bit more. What was that? What do you think it was? It was you, boy. <laughs> what the? Hey, this closet was full of TVs last time I checked, and that is none. Because you keep breaking them. Because you keep pissing me off so bad. You should be lucky and thoughtful enough to throw the anger at the media <laughs> and not your buttocks. Both of you, get in here. <laughs> so Frylock is going to lay down the law, but I, I love this just interaction between uh, Shake and Meatwad here. Shake sounding like uh, probably your uncle at Thanksgiving that he he was throwing his anger at the media and not at Meatwad's buttocks, even though, of course, Meatwad gets abused by Shake physically all the time, so I don't really know what, what Shake's going on about. I love when they bring up this side of Shake that, like, hates the media and, you know, he's into conspiracy theories and stuff. I wish that they, they played with that a little bit more. But, of course, uh, I, you know, I don't want to get too deep into this, but it's funny that uh, supposedly here he hates the media, but he's also, like, desperate to be famous. He, he says he has an agent who lives in L.A., and, and he wants to be on TV, and you'll see that in this episode. So he hates the media, but also he kind of wants to be a part of it. Anyways, we are now going to get our dose of lore from the show, something we don't typically get. We're going to be in Frylock's room because, you know, Frylock is calling Shake and Meatwad in. We're going to see Frylock's cloner, which we haven't seen since Bus of the Undead, the third episode of the entire series. We've got the cloner back, and that is where these TVs are coming from. Frylock has been cloning them, but he's going to explain how, you know, this isn't really a good thing to be doing. And yeah, just this cloner, this cloner, uh, it appears in other episodes after this too. And uh, spoiler alert, so maybe jump ahead. I'm not going to give like big spoilers, but it does pop up again in Plantasm, the 2022 film. So I think it's awesome. They just keep bringing this thing back since, you know, it started in the third episode and they keep playing with it since then. Every time you break a TV shake, where do you think they come from? Huh? Jesus. No. <laughs> oh, Santa Claus. It's the same thing. <laughs> oh, no, Santa Claus. I know. I'm Jewish. I've been cloning these TVs for you, Shake. From this day forward. And you know what? I'm tired of doing it. You have a cloner? You know I have a cloner. Oh, yeah. You have a cloner? Say, can I buy your cloner? <laughs> no. I use that thing for research. It's not your own personal electronics store. Okay, you're, you're absolutely right. We... Are very sorry. That was a one-time thing. Uh, you know what? I, I, that's what I was just thinking. And we mean it this time. <sighs> okay. But this is the last one. So, Frylock, he spawns the last one. We get some good jokes in there about, uh, you know, Santa or, or, or Jesus is the one spawning them. In the, the script writing, they had this joke where, where somebody was supposed to say, uh, Sa- Santa Christ. 
because they're like, oh, it's the same guy. Then they're going to say Santa Christ, but they cut it. I don't know. If, I don't know for time or maybe like the network didn't want them to say that. I'm not sure. We learned that Meatwad is now Jewish. He's had a, a change of faith. He has seen the light and he's converting to Judaism from from that day forward. Now, I don't know if, how much we'll really see that going forward, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Otherwise, not a whole lot to say about that clip. Basically, uh, yeah, Frylock gives him a talking to and then he spawns the last one. But because I had to cut the clip up, we lost the timing of the joke here because as soon the second that like that TV comes out of the cloner, then Shake just destroys it with his crossbow. He shoots another flaming bolt at it and explodes it right away. So I'll, I'll back up a little bit in the clip uh, timeline here so you can hear that joke play out as intended. But this is the last one. <laughs> that one? That better not have been the last one. Fine. It's Shake. Enjoy one of my books then. All right, come on now. Come on, come on. We'll be good. Come on now. Don't be that way. Why you be so cranky, please? No books. I can't read. I'm not a loser. <laughs> oh, Frida, please. Make us a TV. I mean, look at me. How else am I going to face the day? Ain't got no job. My wife loved me. Bills piling up. I got child support payments. And I don't know if anyone just said it's true. But I believe it. He is right. We need to doubt our senses. There we go. One of Meatwad's famous emotional inspirational speeches. And I believe that that clip was uh, used as an adult swim bump. Uh, back in the day, I feel like I've seen it watching through all the, this YouTube footage that I that I watch uh, of old VHS recordings. The music playing underneath Meatwad's speech is called Warm Hearts, and it was composed by Alec Williams and Regan Ryuzuk, Ryzuk, something like that, from the album Reflective Profiles by Gotham Music slash Universal Production Music. And this music was also used under certain promos they would have carl saying some some kind of deplorable shit uh, uh, you know just normal carlisms and then this sweet music would be playing underneath it the perfect date knows when to shut up we're not doing like a movie a dinner none of that bs we're going straight to heaven we'll do a little small talk while we're you know getting on the action like you know what's your name how much is this costing me are you going to try to rip me off? Because I've been ripped off before. I know where my wallet is. Don't mess with it. Lordy mama, light my fuse, you know what I mean? That being an example of one of those promos, there's actually 11 promos on the Volume 3 disc that you can see all of these. There's uh, a Meatwad one, there's a bunch of Shake ones, and a bunch of Carl ones. So uh, at some point, I'll go over those, maybe on, on the Patreon or something, because as you heard, they're all this original kind of content. They're very funny. But but back to the cloning here, I just want to give you an example of how else they would use that sweet Meatwad music. Basically, Meatwad works his magic, he works his charm, he appeals to Frylock's emotion, basically like, man, I got nothing going on in my life, and saying all that stuff about, you know, his wife again. Of course, we heard a lot about that in Revenge of the Trees, about this uh, hypothetical wife. I guess him and his wife had gotten a divorce since then, and he has to pay child support and stuff. He just has a bad life, and TV is the only thing that he's got going on, so Frylock feels bad, and he is going to make another TV for them. All right, fine. I'll do one more, but that is it. All right, two. You'll do them to the living end, starring James Bond. Shake, look, <laughs> I've abused this thing too much as it is. If you clone something too many times, the molecular structure starts to break down, and there's no telling what you're going to get. Just get the table. Uh, you and your quasi-intellectual hobnobbery habitative. You know what makes me sick? That you get away with it. You just be more careful with that, because it's the last one. Kind of a cool cut at the very end of that clip because we have Frylock talking 
about the TV, and then they cut right to the uh, Aqua Teen's living room where he says, this is the last one. So it's like seamless dialogue-wise, but really slick, I think, visually. So so kudos to the editors on that one. And something I noticed here is when, when Frylock brought out the first TV that Shake instantly destroyed, that one very quickly came out of the cloner. But this one, the second one now that they're going to be watching throughout the episode... It took some time. It very slowly rose out of the cloner. And um, maybe, you know, I assume that wasn't on purpose, but I guess it kind of makes sense because Frylock is saying that the molecular structure breaks down over time. That in the uh, the script writing, by the way, was a, a Matt Malero idea. He was saying how, oh, we have to have some sort of reason why they can't keep cloning stuff all the time because otherwise there's, you know, no, no conflict or, or no issue in this episode. He's saying this is the last one I can do because the molecular structure breaks down over time. Maybe that's why it took longer to, to rise out of the cloner because of, of that issue and, and issues we will begin to see throughout the episode. Shake says you will do it to the living end starring James Bond. Uh, so there's kind of two things going on here. The living end is not a James Bond film. From what I am seeing, it is a 1992 film about a gay hustler named Luke and a movie critic named John who are both HIV positive. And, and they go on a, a hedonistic, dangerous journey and their motto is fuck the world. So that is the living end. And, and I assume that's what they're referencing here. James Bond was in a movie called, well, not, not he was, there, there's a James Bond film, because obviously it's a character, called The Living Daylights that came out in 1987. So I assume Shake is kind of getting things mixed up here. He, he's uh, getting this, this other movie mixed up with a James Bond movie. Because from what I could see, and please, any Bond heads out there, correct me, but I don't think that there is a James Bond movie called The Living End. Because when I type that in, I'm not really seeing anything. So hey, let me know. But I think the joke here is that he's like mixing up these two pretty different movies. To go to what Frylock was saying about, you know, if you clone something too many times... The, the the molecular structure gets messed up. This doesn't really make any sense at all. I mean, obviously, first of all, cloning in this capacity isn't possible. But also, to me, that that doesn't like the logic doesn't make any sense because you would think on his computer he has the uh, you know the structure or whatever that he needs to recreate every time that is the clone. Why does that get messed up every time? It doesn't quite uh, check out to me. But hey, it's Aqua Teen. I mean, if we're going to talk about stuff that doesn't make sense, we'll be here all day. So let's keep moving on. Basically, Frylock gives them this TV, and then they're kind of addicted to him. Mainly Shake, really, is, is addicted to Frylock. And then Frylock then will leave the house, so, so the door will slam. And then he will just go zooming across the yard. He, he moves pretty quickly here, if you watch along in the episode. He kind of just uh, books it out, so... So Meatwad and Shake kind of wait for Frylock to leave. So I'm going to cut out just kind of the door closing in the silence of them watching Frylock leave. And then we'll jump into to Meatwad now and Shake talking smack to Frylock well after he's out of the yard so he can't hear them. They wait till he's gone and then they start talking shit. Oh, really? This is here, boy. Oh, yeah. Big man. Oh, you'll make more of these because I'll tell you to. Right to your face. <laughs> you tell Frylock. He's gone, Rob. <laughs> So I love that. Meatwad's kind of joining in with Shake. He wants to appear macho. He wants to appear tough. So he's shit talking to Frylock. But then Meatwad has a concerned look on his face like he's gone, right? He doesn't, he doesn't want to get in trouble from Frylock for saying this. So, yeah, they had their little uh, release of, of, of being men's men. And now Shake is going to break the TV because he wants to, you know, assert his dominance here. He is the leader. He is the alpha male of the house. So even though Frylock said, don't destroy this, it's your last one. Shake doesn't give a shit. He's going to destroy it and then make Frylock, uh, make them another one, really. So he hits the TV off of the TV stand like he normally would to break it, which he's done many times throughout the series. 
but instead of just exploding and being, you know, destroyed, it actually bounces around. Shake then pulls out a bat out of nowhere. He pulls it out like behind the chair somehow, uh, just a wooden baseball bat. And then he's kind of chasing the TV around, uh, trying to destroy it. <laughs> no, we didn't see it. Everything's fine. I'll just shut up and I'll just go control it. <laughs> I'm not in the business of seeing whatever pleases you. Get back here, you So, so yeah, Shake's like, I'm gonna get the controller, and he pulls out a baseball bat. But then he gives Meatwad some sass, so Shake is really in, a, in a, uh, a shitty mood, it seems like. He's just really ragging on anybody, even, you know, Frylock, who helped Shake by making him two new TVs. And then he's, he's ragging on Meatwad, who is his buddy, and he, you know, they're supposed to watch TV together. So Shake says that he's not in the business of seeing whatever Meatwad wants him to see. So Shake runs off chasing the, the TV down the hallway and then Meatwad stays in the living room and then he goes into this just incredible little monologue where he's talking back to Shake the same way that they were talking back to Frylock previously after Frylock had left. Now Meatwad's talking back to Shake after Shake left the room and Meatwad kind of goes on and, and does this macho posturing. And then uh, we are, it re it's revealed that Shake uh, was there the whole time kind of listening in. So Shake heard everything. And then he's going to he's going to chase Meatwad around with the baseball bat. And we're going to get an awesome Schoolie D transition here. A little uh, narration from Schoolie D, which we haven't gotten in a while. And, and as you know, anytime we get it is a real treat. A nice visual touch is as, as uh, Shake is chasing Meatwad around during the Schoolie D transition, uh, the TV we see, it bounces around too, so it's kind of chasing them, and, and they're chasing each other, and it's just kind of really silly. This, this fun cartoony moment that we don't get in Aqua Teen a ton. So again, remember going into our next clip here, that Meatwad is responding to Shake after Shake has left the room. Well, I'm in business. Business is kicking your ass. And I'm <laughs> Business is booming. I'm open for business. Business are giving you the business. <laughs> Hope you're back. <laughs> Did you hear me say that? You looking to expand your business? <laughs> business is gold! Business I'm is gold! <laughs> King of the freaking idiots. So there's that. Just so much great dialogue. Just great dialogue between the characters in this one. They're just kind of doing little jabs at each other. That I, you know, in my opinion, this is when Aqua Teen is at its best. Just these, these character dynamics and, and the little moments they have between each other are just are just the best and uh this is one of the the golden episodes showcasing this i think so from there we cut you know we're still in the living room of course but some time has passed because the tv is now chained to the tv stand and it's trying to escape it's like moving around trying to get out of these chains here and shake at the beginning he's all proud that he did this which i mean i guess he should be proud it's pretty impressive uh, and it's funny to me because they can't really enjoy watching TV because there are literally just a ton of chains going across the screen. So you can't really see what's going on. I mean, you can, but it's obstructed. So uh, not the ideal viewing experience. And obviously you've seen this episode before when they're watching it, there's actually less chains on it than we see in this first shot of it with the chains on it because, you know, it's all chained up as you would expect it to be. But that once they go to actually show us stuff on the TV, they're probably like, all right, we can't see what's actually happening on the TV. We got to take some chains off for when we're actually watching it. And by they, I mean the guys who made the show, not the Aqua Teens, although I guess you could apply it to that as well. Although we don't ever actually see them take chains off of the TV. Back to something I meant to say earlier and I forgot. It's kind of funny to me that Frylock can uh, clone anything, right? Why are they cloning their small shitty TV when we've seen them have nicer TVs multiple times throughout the show? You know, why does why don't they... They can even buy a TV 
get the, you know, for lack of a better term, DNA of it so they could keep cloning it and return the original TV so that they could at least be be making a nicer TV. I mean, again, you know, it's Aqua Teen, but I, I just kind of found that funny. But anyways, so yeah, they have the, the, the TV chained up now. Shake's acting like a tough guy, but then he's afraid to actually go up and turn it on. So he's going to make Meatwad turn the TV on. And Meatwad does so with the back scratcher that we first saw in the meat zone earlier this season. Then we saw that back scratcher again in the previous episode, the when when uh, Shake was using that to point at the monitors that were showing what was going on in Frylock's room. So it's that same pink back scratcher. And Meatwad, he's going to be trying to use it to turn the TV on. All right, that's what's called taking command of the situation. <laughs> Meatwad. You turn it on. I ain't going near that TV, boy. I think that thing's alive. Go over there, get close to it, and touch it to turn it on. What you give me? Six months to a year. And brother, you are dead. <laughs> Come on, man. We're wasting Dude, time. Just give me a second here. Turn it on. I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. Just don't wake it up. I want to surprise it. <laughs> I, I love this back and forth so much. I, I, I've always, it's always stuck in my head. Uh, uh, Master Shake saying, you got to take command of the situation. That's always been in my head ever since I saw this as a kid. And I still think about that from time to time. And also what, what lives in my head rent free from this episode is Shake saying, you've got six months to a year. And brother, you are dead. I don't know what this is a reference to. I mean, I have no idea what they're alluding to with this or if they're alluding to anything at all. But I really love it. If, if you maybe have an idea of what they're talking about here, please let me know. But I couldn't really find anything out. But anyways, more importantly, Meatwad, he does turn on the TV. He, he surprises it. He, he hits it with the uh, back scratcher, turns it on. And immediately we are going to hear some kind of ominous music start to play. Not really from the TV even. It's like coming from, uh, like we hear it just in full fidelity. It's almost like it's supposed to be happening uh, to the Aqua Teens here. And we'll see Shake on the TV, and it's just this strange TV show. Essentially, what will happen, because it's very slow moving and, and, and just creepy, we have Shake, and all he does in it, and they'll be commenting on this, uh, the real Aqua Teens will throughout the time, the time that they're watching this on the TV. The Shake on the TV show is going to be in Frylock's room, and he is going to clone some money from the cloner. So let's give all of this a listen. Look at that! Yes, I see that. Look at that, you on the TV. Well, uh, you know, I've been on TV a lot. See, this, <laughs> oh, this, yeah, sure, this is my sitcom with a, I'm in your house. <laughs> with a science fiction horror twist. <laughs> it's called, uh... What's it called? I don't know, shut up. I'm trying, I'm trying to hear my lines. What the hell is this? Well, you said this is your sitcom. With the sci-fi horror twist? That's never been done before. Yeah, I know. I just don't remember filming this episode. I can tell my instincts are strong in this scene, though, and I got a lot of motivation. But you're in Frylock's room. You ain't supposed to be in there. Why'd you film in there? Call me. Where did you get all that money? Well, obviously, I am a drug lord in this scene. Who the hell else you think a guy like me gets this amount of cash? Oh, the cloner. Give me a dollar, quick. So again, Shake literally sees on the TV show that he is putting money into the cloner and then more money's coming out. So that's how he gets the idea. He's going to ask Meatwad for money now. One thing that is super underrated about this show and that the show never gets credit for, understandably, but 
yeah, they just do it so well is creating these very unsettling atmospheres with that, you know, kind of creepy droning music there that that just uh, that ambience that they introduce. But then there's Shake on the TV saying this kind of creepy stuff and his character is moving like almost in slow motion. But then you also hear laugh, a laugh track on the TV. So it's just this mishmash of all these just interesting things going on. And then at a certain point when there's no dialogue coming from the TV, because there's no dialogue on the TV when Real Shake and, and Meatwad are talking to each other, and you hear these like kind of weird sound effects, what sounds like a wolf howling or something. It's just so bizarre. And maybe it's because you don't expect it from this show that makes it hit so hard. But, you know, as an adult now watching back, I'm just kind of blown away by these atmospheres that they were able to create for this show that normally is just, you know, kind of a silly, a silly comedy where nothing like this is happening. But when it does happen, they really, really nail it and they really drive the point home that this is uh, some creepy territory that they're headed to. So on the TV, the, the master shake in that universe, he says, I'm in your house. That is a reference to the film Lost Highway, which is a David Lynch film. We talked about David Lynch recently on the last uh, Deep Dive episode, and, and I've mentioned him here and there. Big David Lynch fan, but I have not seen Lost Highway yet, which is insane. I don't know why I haven't seen it. I mean, hey, you listen to this podcast, you know I haven't seen most movies, but I, I definitely need to watch this one soon, especially because the soundtrack on this thing is insane. It has, um, you know, my favorite band is the Smashing Pumpkins, and they have a song on there called I, which is one of my favorite songs of all time, and I haven't even seen the movie yet. But they also have Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor, David Bowie, Marilyn Manson, Rammstein, uh, all sorts of stuff on here. I think Trent Reznor actually did the soundtrack. Yeah, he, he produced it. So I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, so it's <laughs> almost criminal that I know this soundtrack, but I haven't actually seen the movie yet. I, I need to watch that very soon. But yeah, that's a reference to Lost Highway and, and, you know, very, very Lynchian here in this episode specifically. Kind of funny, they would mention David Lynch in the previous episode and then they would kind of do a, uh, a an allusion to his work in this one. Seems like either Matt or Dave were going through a, a Lynch binge at the time. Uh, there was no mention of David Lynch. I don't think they uh, talked about this specific part in the documentary, so I didn't see how they came up with this. I wish I did because I'm sure that would shed light on it. But uh, yeah, no, no clue how they came up with this bit, but I'm just I'm here for all the David Lynch allusions and, and connections to the show, even if I haven't even seen the thing that they're referencing. In that previous clip, I love that Shake was trying to pretend like he knew what was going on, but he didn't. That's like really, really silly to me that he's like trying to describe to Meatwad what this is, but he himself does not know what it is. So he's just bullshitting as much as he possibly can. But he ends up failing because he's like, I'm trying to hear my lines, hold on, or, or whatever. And then I love when Meatwad, whenever he repeats Shake verbatim, which he does here about the, the genre of this film, like, oh, it's it's the sitcom with the with the horror twist. It's never been done before. Like, like he says it like it's fact, even though Shake just told it to him like two minutes earlier. And then lastly, onto the song that plays there, just this uh, this ambience, this this uh, this droning pad. It is called Cosmic Gliss. It was composed by Ian uh, Bodie Body uh, B O D D Y from the album Drones by D Wolf Music. That is the publisher on that one. So moving on uh, to our next clip here, because Shake just got an idea. He saw his character cloning money, and now that's what he is going to do. So he's asking Meatwad for some money, and Meatwad's going to pull out his birthday dollar and go to offer it to Shake. And Shake keeps trying to grab it, but while Meatwad is explaining why this dollar is important to him, Meatwad keeps kind of yanking it back and pulling it away from Shake, so Shake can't just grab it right away. And I want to shout out the just the physical kind of acting, for lack of a better term, 
in this episode, there's all sorts of good stuff uh, that I'm not really mentioning on the on this podcast because I don't want to focus too much on visual aspects uh, more than I already do, of course. But there's a lot of good uh, physical kind of stuff going on in this one. We had Shake kind of backing up and hiding behind the chair previously. Just little details like that that really make this show work so well for a show with such limited animation, whereas the characters just kind of jiggling around on screen. They really just do a fantastic job here with what they had. So again, uh, Meatwad's going to bust out the birthday dollar. Let's hear the origin of this birthday dollar. Okay, look, my grandmother gave me this dollar before she died. It's my birthday dollar. Thank you, Granny. You spent it well, baby. Bitch. Just watch the TV. You forget. Forget what? <laughs> Classic Meatwad line. Forget what? Like, he already, he already forgot what happened. So, yeah, we had Meatwad yanking the dollar bill away. Shake just kind of rips it out of his hand and runs away. He's like, oh, you'll forget. And then, you know, obviously you just heard it. So what's going to happen now is Meatwad is still in the living room while Shake ran off to Frylock's room. And then suddenly the atmosphere is going to change. It's going to go from that kind of uh, that icy kind of scary sci-fi pad to happier music is going to begin to play. And on the TV, of course, this is, you know, on the television set, Frylock will enter into the scene and he will be talking to Shake on the TV and just, yeah, the tone of the episode will change that, that whatever is on the TV and Miwad will pay attention to it. So he's going to go from just being on the floor to then we'll see him in the, the green chair kind of commenting on what's happening on the television. However, towards the end of this upcoming clip, you will hear a gunshot, and that is, again, on the TV, Frylock will pull out a, uh, a shotgun and kill Shake, because Shake is in Frylock's room still, with just a mountain of money around him. So that's kind of what's going on. I hope this isn't too confusing with everything happening on the TV. I'm sure it's not, because you've probably seen this episode of Aqua Teen, but uh, yeah, uh, apologies if it is confusing. So let's listen to this uh, in-universe uh, show that the TV is creating for Meatwad to watch. Forget what? Shake, what did I tell you about messing with my cloner? Frylock, I am so sorry about it. I, you know what? I really should have taken your feelings into consideration. Oh. No, <laughs> I'm the one who's sorry, okay? I'm sorry I made the cheerleading squad and you didn't. <laughs> it's okay. You were the better cheerleader. Well, I was no slouch. Did you see me do those cartwheels? <laughs> I identify with that. Okay, okay, don't rub it in. <laughs> There's the singer. Okay, then how about I blow it in? What? Shake! Damn! What do you want? Um, <laughs> nothing. You just uh, do what you're doing. It's all good. So that was Shake, of course, commenting in real life from Frylock's room while sh while Meatwad is seeing like this kind of alternate universe on the TV. But I love Meatwad's reaction here. He's he's like pretty animated. He's pointing his arm out a lot when he's commenting on stuff. And you know, I love the delay between him and the laugh track. So like the laugh track will let's say go ah, and then moments later Meatwad goes ah. Like then he realizes how he's supposed to react. I, this this is kind of uh, Matt and Dave. I think making fun of the average TV viewer, which isn't the first time they've done this on the show, but it's it's kind of heavy-handed here. But because it's Meatwad, it's just so funny. Because at the same time, yeah, maybe they're making fun of, of TV viewers, maybe even their own viewers of the show, even though obviously there's no laugh track or anything like that on Aqua Teen. But also, this does like make sense for Meatwad. Meatwad, he's just an innocent 
kind of kind of dumb lovable character and and he's reacting just to, in the best way possible to, to this show he's really enjoying it but uh, yeah as you heard frylock did end up killing shake in the show meatwad reacted to it and and shake was wondering about that reaction i i love the fact that uh you know we had that little bit of a, a back and forth about making the cheerleading squad <laughs> frylock made the cheerleading squad over shake also i noticed just now watching this that when frylock shoots shake uh, some green liquid comes out of Shake. And of course, a- as you could already assume, but I talked about it with Jay in my interview with Jay Edwards, uh, producer on this episode, editor on this episode. He mentioned how they couldn't show red, yellow, or brown liquids, so they had to make it green in the case of blood here until, you know, the show had been on a few years and, and uh, Adult Swim and-, and Cartoon Network was able to get away with more on the network. But back to the episode itself, obviously, Shake was like, you know, oh, what, what are you talking about in there or whatever? And then Meatwad's like, oh, nothing, just keep doing what you were doing. Because he, in a way, he kind of saw like an alternate future, but maybe it could be the future. And he's like totally cool with Frylock just blowing Shake's head off with a shotgun. So Meatwad's like, oh, yeah, stay in there, hoping kind of that, uh, you know, Frylock will come in and, and kill Shake. So we're going to cut back to the TV now. So so in, in this TV show... Shake is dead, and then uh, the Muffin Man is going to come in, this brand new character. It's just kind of a, a humanoid body with with a muffin for a head and, and a face. It has no shirt on, but it's wearing overalls, so you can see like its chest hair and its armpit hair and stuff. It's, it's a very strange and funny design. It's going to jump in like, oh, good news, you both made the cheerleading team or whatever, and then Frylock is going to kill him too. Great news! You both made the cheerleading squad! <laughs> <laughs> I love how Frylock is killing people in this show here, and the the audience, the studio audience, is just laughing, and the laugh track is going crazy, very, very silly. But at that point, Meatwad just changes the channel. But I must mention that that is Nick Inkatanawat, again, uh, PA on the show, and he went on to, to do other things. I think he's done voices on the show already. Again, we've talked about him a ton on this podcast. That was him doing the voice of the Muffin Man. However, Meatwad, he's had enough of this this show, so he's going to change the channel again with the pink back scratcher, which we haven't seen for a while, but it just, uh, you know, reappears out of nowhere, and he hits the TV with it. He hits, like, where the buttons would be to change the channel, and now we are seeing a brand new show uh, that it, on, the, on the TV, it is Meatwad dancing with, like, some gingerbread men, some Smarties candies, and some lollipops, that, and of course they all have faces and stuff. He's just dancing in the Aqua Teens living room with them, and then later on in that in that show, Frylock will appear holding a candy cane, and then at the end of the clip, uh, the Frylock with the candy cane will start just shooting everybody and killing everybody again. Look what I got. Don't let him in. Well, come on in. All right, he's in, but just don't ask him to dance. Do you want to dance? I'd love to dance. Come you on. ask him to dance. I told you not to ask him to dance. You shut up. Oh, God. <laughs> hmm. Well, maybe this is a different show. Hey, anybody want some metal candy? It's the same damn show. <laughs> run, run, run to your chocolate huts. Come on, Meatwad. You're not hungry for some cane? No! So I kind of have to cut this clip off here because there's going to be some crosstalk momentarily. But that's one of my favorite jokes in this whole show is Meatwad watching this dumbass thing where it's just him dancing with these, you know, these uh, candy creatures. He's like, finally, a good reality show <laughs> like that's ever happened in Meatwad's life. Although he has danced a ton, of course, so we know that. And then, yeah, I mean, you heard how it plays out. I, I love when the Frylock on the TV uh, talks to and responds to the real life Meatwad telling him to shut up. 
the music that played during that part was called Snowdrops. It was composed by David Riley and it was from the album Playtime. Again, links to all this in the show notes. And I'm going to stop mentioning the publisher. I doubt that anybody really cares about that. And now is the time for me to mention that this episode I'm seeing people say is is loosely based on the Twilight Zone episode, What's in the Box? The synopsis on that episode is a man sees himself on television killing his wife. However, I don't know if Matt and Dave actually pulled from that. Again, it wasn't really addressed in the uh, documentary where they made, where they uh, wrote the episode, at least. And, and then during there's a, also a table reading in that episode, and they don't mention it there either. So, like, I don't know. Maybe they just came up with this on their own. It's not, like, you know, the most original concept, but there definitely is a Twilight Zone episode that maybe they were even indirectly influenced by where a similar kind of thing happens, where there's, like, this cursed TV that shows you, uh, you know, the, the past, present, and future. And speaking of past, I want to go back to the beginning of this episode where Meatwad is watching his puppet show because that ends with You're Gonna Die, which we never saw in Universal Remonster. And now I know I'm overanalyzing here. I don't think that they really intended this, but I think in the lore of this episode, what I'm about to say does work because, okay, so now we are on the, the very last TV that they have, right? And this one clearly is messed up. It was moving around. They have to chain it down. It's showing all these weird TV shows about Frylock killing everybody, right? Well, the one that Meatwad was watching at the beginning of this episode was the second to last, or sorry, the third, the third to last TV because, remember, they made one in between that Shake instantly broke. So the reason that one, I think, was showing that kind of weird, like, oh, you're going to die. They say this on a kid's show. I think the reason for that is, is that the molecular structure was beginning to break down on that iteration of the clone of the TV. And that's why it was a little weird. It wasn't quite the level of this TV where it's showing just these incredible events of, of Frylock killing everybody. But it was a little bit twisted, I guess, for lack of a better word. So I think that's kind of a fun way to read it. Of course, I don't think they meant it. I think they, you know, obviously they made that whole you're going to die part back when they made Universal Remonster. So they just thought it was funny. Like, oh, it's a kid's show and it says you're going to die. But we never saw that in Universal Remonster, but we did see that part here. So... That's kind of my, I guess, headcanon for it. That's what the kids are saying these days. That the reason that we saw that part was because that, that TV, the, the third to last one, was kind of fucked up, but not quite. And then this one, obviously, is way off the deep end because we're seeing all these made-up TV shows. The last thing I want to say is uh, in that clip or that show that Meatwad was watching... There was, you know, he was dancing with all these creatures and they're all saying, la, 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 la. I think that's where Todd Malero, who I assume is Matt Malero's brother, I think that's like the contribution that he had for this episode. I actually found who I really believe to be Todd Malero online. I mean, it's a really unique name. I think I found him and I was like kind of contemplating if I wanted to ask him about this episode or not, but I decided not to because first of all, it's such a minor role. And second of all, Matt Malero is a very private person. So I didn't want it to seem like I was like stalking his family, even though this guy was in the episode. But yeah, I was like, eh, I guess ultimately it's not worth it because what could I really ask the guy other than like his general experience with Aqua Teen? So hopefully I'm right. And it is Matt's brother. Who knows? And, and hopefully this is the part that he did voice. But hey, I think it's all right. If we don't know for certain, it's all right to have a little mystery in your life and not know everything all the time. Come on now. But all right, back to our episode here. So Meatwad was yelling, no, because uh, Frylock in the TV show, like, killed him. And now the real Frylock in real life is going to come in through the door. Meatwad will get startled and run away to, like, the hall, although, although we will still see him from the living room. And he'll be kind of talking to Frylock. And then uh, they'll talk about the TV. There's something wrong with it. 
And then at the end of the clip, you will hear the TV will just start spraying blood everywhere. And this blood is red. I guess they could show it because it wasn't like a character getting hurt. It was a TV spraying blood. So that's a little bit more, uh, you know, they, they could get away with that, I guess. So that's what you'll be hearing at the end of the clip. You're not hungry for some cane? Meanwhile, what? Meanwhile, what is it? You know exactly what it is. <laughs> get away from get, 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 get away from me. I need evaluation and dinner. And by dinner, I don't mean gnome heads. Gnome heads? Something, you know, you done did it. Did what? Something wrong with that TV. There's nothing wrong with that TV. <laughs> okay, something's wrong with the TV. Again, to the physical acting, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, in this episode, because Meatwad is very animated. He jumps off the chair as soon as Frylock enters the house. He runs away screaming with his arms kind of flapping around. He's pointing it all over the place while he's talking to uh, to, to Frylock. It's just in incredible. We don't normally get this kind of physical movement from these characters, but they really did it up in this episode, and I, I truly do appreciate it, especially for an episode as dialogue-heavy as this one. Cutting to our next scene now, Frylock, we just cut to him taking the TV outside and putting it on the curb like he's throwing it away because this TV is fucked up. They, they, they don't need it anymore. And even though we only have three minutes left on this episode, our buddy Carl is going to make an appearance here. He's going to walk up and see what Frylock is doing with this TV. And then at the end of the clip, he's going to steal it from the curbside. Ugh, that's that. Oh, hey, Carl. Well, you got another busted TV? Yeah, something's horribly wrong with it. <laughs> wow, that's wireless, too, huh? <laughs> Who, uh, what, what do I care, huh? <laughs> I'm sure someone will grab it. Well, see you later. Freaking awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, as you can hear, uh, both both Carl and Frylock go in their respective homes, and then Carl comes back out to steal the TV, because I didn't explain it, but you could hear that the TV just turned on randomly, even though it wasn't plugged in, and, and Carl was very impressed by that, even though the TV at his house is much bigger, it is much nicer. For some reason, the wireless aspect has really intrigued him. Of course, because the show is so limited on its animation, I love the way that Carl grabs the TV. Basically, we are we are really focused in on the TV on on the sidewalk here. And then Carl, his, his model just kind of uh, leans in, kind of like Michael Jackson doing his smooth criminal anti-gravity lean. He just like at this extreme angle, his whole body moves in and he grabs it and then he he goes back up onto his feet. It's really funny if you actually uh, give two seconds of thought to what you're actually seeing on the screen. So we're going to leave Carl there, but we will come back to him. In the meantime, Frylock is inside now, and he's going to head to his bedroom where he sees Shake leaving the bedroom with a duffel bag of cash. What were you doing in there? What are you doing home so soon? Answer that. <laughs> Whoa, what are these bills doing here? Well, don't touch them. They're mine. You can't use the cloner to counterfeit money, Shake. Look, we will discuss this when I feel like it. <laughs> right now, I gotta go get a new Camaro. That's where the is, baby. There are limits to how much you can clone. Matter breaks down blah, over blah, time. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, I'm not fluent in Dorkanese. Love the line there uh, of Shake saying, we'll talk about this when I feel like it. But otherwise, not a whole lot to say about that clip. Just kind of uh, implanting some ideas in Frylock's head now. The same way that Shake, he saw that TV show, it put some ideas in his head about cloning money. Now Frylock sees Shake counterfeiting money and it's putting ideas into his head. Hmm, well on the other hand, I could use this to feed all the hungry children of the world. Yeah, with my new chain of family-styled restaurants. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh hell yeah! Love this line from from the uh, from the episode. Uh, you know he, he's acting selfless at first, but then he's gonna he's gonna open his own restaurant chain, and that's how he's gonna feed all these hungry people. 
We've been talking about the documentary a lot, how to score big money writing for television. Again, you can check that out, link in the show notes. I want to play you some of that documentary of them writing this specific scene, so let's jump in. All right, well, let's shake leaves to go get a Camaro with a duffel bag full of cash. Um, I want a Camaro, too. I mean, he needs to at least... I can't believe he would use... I'm going to use this for the good. I'm going to feed all the starving children of the world. With my new chain of restaurants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. I can't believe. I'm gonna have to get jobs to come in. Maybe a chain of <laughs> ham and egg restaurants. <laughs> new chain of chicken restaurants. Uh, family style restaurants. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> oh yeah oh hell yeah <laughs> so there that is very heavily edited by myself because there is long stretches of silence and stuff and just really cool here we can see literally the first time they are ever speaking these lines and coming up with these lines you know we heard the finished product now we heard how they came about creating it so really a cool experience here and you you heard how they played with some different ideas for example uh ham and egg restaurant, uh, chicken restaurant, but then eventually Dave came up with with a family style restaurant. Just such a cool experience. I wish we could see this for every episode that they made, but unfortunately not the case. So anyways, Frylock is in the process of cloning a bunch of money and at the end of the clip, uh, he started to get a phone call. So let's hear who's on the other line. It's Carl. Carl is calling Frylock and he kind of admits to taking the TV but the reason he is calling is because on the TV, he can see Frylock. So that's when Carl will call, but then similar to how Meatwad was kind of commenting on what was going on, Carl's going to do the same thing. And in, in this TV show that Carl is watching, he himself will come on screen and then him and Frylock will high five and then they'll start drinking some beers because at the beginning of, of the clip that we see, uh, Frylock, he has a six pack. So they're drinking beers, or at least Carl is, and then Frylock's just going to pull out a shotgun and shoot Carl in the head. So that's the, the in-universe TV show that Carl will be reacting to. Yeah, I'm busy. What? Hey, Fryman! Ordinarily, I wouldn't uh, call you because I don't like you, but uh, you're <laughs> on the TV, man! Check out channel, uh... 666, that's weird. Look, Carl, I don't have time... Oh, hang on, I'm on it now! That is me! Awesome! <laughs> awesome! Freaking awesome! I'm on TV! <laughs> I look pretty good. <laughs> Chicken skin diet's really uh, paying off for me. <laughs> oh, God. You stay far away from this house. You hear me? Far away! So that is Carl's time in the episode. Uh, of course, the Aqua Teen episode and this in-universe episode. I really like the way they included him because it wasn't necessary, but it doesn't feel shoehorned in because it does kind of develop the plot a little bit more. And I just love the way that they capitalized on this evil TV showing Frylock killing everybody. We got to see him kill Carl too and hear Carl's reactions to it. As for the visuals there, it's really funny because Carl is laying on the ground in his living room watching this little TV that's right like in front of his main big TV. It's really silly because it's like, why wouldn't you just watch your actual TV rather than this little tiny one? But yeah, he's laying on the ground. It's a very, very funny drawing, as always, the one that they always have of Carl laying on his bed or whatever. It's, it's a little seductive, I must say, but he's laying there watching this. And to the visuals of the in-universe show that he is watching of, of Frylock killing him, there is a happy birthday sign up on the wall. And this is the same one that we saw in Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary when it was Meatwad's birthday. 
So kind of cool to see that again. Of course, you know, great voice acting from Dave Willis on Carl, how, how excited Carl gets when he, he himself is on the TV. One thing to mention here is uh, Carl says on channel 666, all throughout the documentary, they keep saying 666. So it seems like they were really set on him saying 666, but then when it came time to actually record it, they decided to go with 666. But more so, you know, of course, 666, the number of the beast, but uh, going back to the episode Super Sirloin, where at the end, Meatwad, he is, uh, you know, he, he's giving up rap music and he's wearing his, his demon face and he's trying to talk to the devil on the CB radio. Notice in that episode, the channel he is on is not 666. It's like, it's like they kind of avoided that trope in that moment. But then in this episode, they really leaned into the 666 trope. Oh, I love Carl saying that the chicken skin diet is paying off for him. <laughs> like, what the fuck kind of diet is that? In, in the documentary, they kind of go through some other options, like the, that chicken marrow diet I've been on or something like that. Just, just crazy shit. Anyways, we are now going to cut to an establishing shot of outside the Aqua Teen's house. We're going to get a Schooly D narration segment here. While we see Master Shake, he's going to fly in with a jetpack. He, he bought a jetpack instead of a Camaro with that duffel bag of cash. So he's going to fly in from, from the sky. And in the process, he's going to set the Aqua Teen's roof on fire, which doesn't really come back in the episode. You would expect their house would burn down, but that doesn't happen. He just leaves a trail of flames, but that, that's about it, which I think is really funny. I love that. Well, now it's official. Frylock just crazy as shit. Damn. Hey, Frylock, I decided not <laughs> to get the Camaro. Well, no. That's why. You're, you're dead. Love it, Tyler. No, you break it. This is a very expensive piece of equipment. You think money just grows on trees? No. You have to get it out of the cloner. <laughs> So, also while Shake is flying, he's still flying the jetpack inside, as you can hear, and he's just leaving flames everywhere. But again, that does not come back in the episode, which I think is hilarious. Meatwad thought that Shake was dead, even though you would think that he saw Shake leave the house, because Shake was still in the house, and he talked to Meatwad after Meatwad saw Shake get killed on the TV. So, I'm actually really questioning that. I wonder why that is, if that's like a... A writing discrepancy? I don't. I don't know. I can't imagine that was it. I don't know what the deal is here because, yeah, it just doesn't make sense that Meatwad would think that Shake died because he talked to him after he saw him die on TV, and you would have thought that he saw him at some point later when he was leaving with the duffel bag of cash. But I guess all this could be summed up as, you know, first of all, it's Aquatine. Second of all, that Meatwad is kind of dumb, so he probably just forgot. You know, he he already forgot about his birthday dollar from earlier. Regardless, Shake is home now, and he's going to go into Frylock's room because he said, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. You have to get it from the cloner. So he's going back to Frylock's room, back to the cloner to get more money. And we see that Frylock is in there still cloning money, and he has just stacks everywhere. The whole room is basically taken up by stacks of dollar bills. Get out of here! Frylock, get away <laughs> from the money. The genetic structure is breaking down. It needs to be analyzed at the Camaro dealership. <laughs> oh, I want some of that. I provided the seed money. Here, you tripled your investment. Now take a dirt nap. This is our money. Okay, so some visual things there. We have Frylock and Shake literally fighting each other. Uh, and again, there, there's other visual things to this episode I haven't pointed out. And I've already said a few times how many visual elements there are. Uh, but you have more of that here. They're like kind of pulling on each other and pushing each other and stuff. And then you hear Meatwad complaining. He's like, you know, I, I provide the seed money, which isn't really true. I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not. I'll get back to that. But basically, because he gave Shake the dollar bill that Shake cloned, then Shake comes out out uh, into the hallway and he drops three single dollar bills, which like, 
wistfully fall to the ground like they're feathers, but then they explode when they when they hit the ground. And then the the clip ended with Frylock cocking a shotgun at Shake. So, you know, stuff is kind of coming true from from the TV show that they were watching. But back to the seed money thing, when Frylock started making his own counterfeit money, he was just pulling dollar bills out of his box with his fries. And it's not crazy to think that Frylock would have his own money. I mean, he, you know, has a job, we can assume, or, or he sells his science stuff, whatever he does. He has his own money, I assume. And we never saw him take any of the money that Shake made or, or Meatwad's dollar. So I don't know what the deal is here. But uh, again, it's Meatwad, so I don't know why I care so much about what he's saying. So our last scene ended with Frylock. He, he was cocking a shotgun at Shake. And then they're going to kind of talk a little bit now that, that Frylock is pointing the gun at Shake. And then Meatwad's going to come in and he is holding a pistol and he's kind of like, you know, contributing to this kind of standoff situation. Except Meatwad's pointing the pistol. It's upside down and it's pointed at Meatwad's head. So we get just this amazing joke uh, of Shake's like, oh, here, you know, you have it backwards. Let me fix it for you. So Shake will come in and then he'll put the pistol right side up, but it's still pointed at Meatwad's head. So uh, just, you know, this episode is on fire already while I'm covering it. I'm like, God damn it. This is way funnier than I than I thought it would be or I remember it being. But just a, a classic legendary joke here. So let's listen to this this tense standoff between the Aqua Teens. Shake, you take another step towards my money and it'll be your last. You both back away. I seen what you done on the TV, and I seen what you done to the TV. I ain't afraid to use this. You're holding it backwards. Well, let me help you out. There you go. Now you're ready to go. I ain't gonna listen to your lies. So you, you heard some commotion there. And, and before we get to it, I want to point out that in the documentary, it seemed like they were toying with the idea of giving Shake his crossbow with the flaming bolt on it. Uh, but we can see in the episode they didn't, probably because of time constraints. Anyways, back to that commotion, though. The commotion was the cloner being set off, and we are now going to get George Washington, but he's made out of $1 bills, or rather, like, a giant $1 bill. He's kind of, like, origami folded from it. And this, of course, being Scott Hilly voicing this character. Let's hear what the first president of the United States has to say about all this. I cannot tell a lie. You are holding it backwards. Who let the hippie in here? I got news for you, pal. The dead are dead, okay? So maybe what you're looking for is soap, which is at the grocery store. You know, food you don't have to pick. Shake. They sell meat there. Uh, shake. You at? shake. No, no, shut up. I'm talking to him. He's George Washington. <sighs> I am. But what the hell's he doing next to my Benjamin? I have come bearing a message. Great Britain sought taxes from the colonies, and they paid for their greed with blood. Now, do you understand the price of avarice? Take him out. <laughs> Wait, no! So something surprising about that is... You really get the vibe that this is just Dana Snyder going off, but it's not because they do a script reading at the end of the documentary and it's basically verbatim the same exact thing. So I was kind of shocked by that, that they, they had written all that out ahead of time. To explain a joke, though, Shake says, oh, don't you know the dead are dead? Because he's calling George Washington here. He thinks it's just a hippie. He says the dead are dead. And he's referring to the band Grateful Dead, which uh, they disbanded in 1995 when Jerry Garcia, the the, you know, guy who basically led the band when he passed away so uh grateful dead a very popular hippie band if, if you watch the show freaks and geeks that show ended with the main character she was going to go follow the dead around the country uh known as she would have been a deadhead which was a very popular thing back in the day 
there is a cut joke from the script reading where George Washington is to prove that he's really George Washington because they don't believe him. He says, look at my teeth. They're wooden or something like that. And, and then uh, Shake says, congratulations. They smell. You got a driver's license on you <laughs> or something along those lines. So pretty funny joke there. But yeah, I guess not necessary. Anyways, let's wrap up this episode before we can talk about a couple other things here. So uh, in our next clip now, so they, uh, they they killed George Washington here. Frylock took him out with his shotgun. But if you are an astute listener here, you might have heard some other bullets. And we're going to get a visual joke of Meatwad saying, did I take him out? And then we see Meatwad, he's still holding his pistol pointed at his head, and there's just bullet holes all in his head. So Meatwad was firing too, trying to help the Aqua Teens, you know, take out George Washington. Uh, but he just was blowing holes in his head. But luckily it doesn't matter because he's a ball of meat. I done took him out, didn't I? Yeah, you really <laughs> took him out. I knew I took him out. <laughs> oh. Did I take him out? Yeah, we should have cloned 20s. Jackson wouldn't have given it. So that's it. That is the cloning. So to mention that documentary again, that script reading, the way that the end played out was actually reversed. So we had Frylock saying, oh, we should have we should have uh, cloned 20s. Jackson wouldn't have given a shit. And then it ended with Meatwad saying, did I take him out? So the thing to go out on was going to be, you know, Meatwad's head or whatever. But they ended up going with with Frylock saying that Jackson wouldn't have given a shit, which personally I think flows better. So I think it was a, a good choice to, to kind of swap those jokes around. So, all right, let me give you my thoughts on this one. Normally, I would give you uh, some discussion on what was said the night this episode aired. But because this one aired with the last one, which I think is probably a more popular episode, at least it seemed to be at the time, because uh, there were way more comments on that thread than on this one. So there wasn't really much for me to really go on other than the sentiment was that people liked it. But people, I think, were more excited to talk about the last one because of, of all the fan service in that episode, which, of course, I mean in the best way possible. So let me just give you my, my thoughts on this one. Off the bat... I mean, you can tell I really, really liked this one and more than I thought I did from my memories of it because, you know, when I remember an episode, I typically just remember the plot. And in terms of the plot here, not a whole lot happens in this one. It's basically all at the Aqua Teen's house. There isn't a villain. Yeah, we get George Washington, but that's for one scene and he doesn't really do anything. And it's, it's just really dialogue heavy. So when I when I think about that aspect, I don't recall all the dialogue specifically. But then when I watch the episode, every scene just has this classic dialogue. It's like every scene has has just a, a great joke or something that that is just one of the best jokes that the show has to offer. So I think because of that, this episode really is underrated. I myself was underrating it because I just wasn't recalling specific dialogue, which again, when you hear it is great. And that kind of leads me to my first point of it takes five minutes really for the plot to start kicking in on this one of the TV itself showing these these horror kind of episodes and the Aqua Teens getting paranoid and reacting to them. It takes five minutes to get to that point, but it does not feel like it in the episode because every scene leading up to it is so freaking funny. The, the, the dialogue is just always a 10 out of 10. And I think that's important to note because a lot of the time my complaints on Aqua Teen episodes are, oh, it, it takes too long to get to the action. Specifically in the episode The, I felt it took too long to really get up to Frylock leaving. This episode, it does take a long time for the TV to start, you know, messing with the characters. I guess the TV is the villain in this one, right? It takes a long time for the TV to start doing its thing, but I didn't mind it at all. And again, most, most of the episode takes place in their house, and then we get just a shot of inside Carl's house. But besides that, it's all in the Aqua Teen's house and it just works. It's like they don't need to go anywhere else because this is just so funny. So, you know, you could probably say that this is like a villain kind of episode, but it, it kind of is really a slice of life episode because it's all the characters just interacting 
And that's what I, what I love most about the show is the characters interacting and just, you know, top tier dialogue, top tier jokes. And that's what this one delivers. I like how uh, we have this tense moment at the end of the episode where there's kind of this standoff going on. But then George Washington pops up and the Aqua Teens instantly forget about their standoff. And they're just kind of like talking to George Washington. Then they realize that they hate him. They kind of come together in their hate for this character who's trying to tell them what to do. And so they all kill him. Like the Aqua Teens come back together because of their hatred for somebody else telling them what to do. Which I think is, which I think is great. You know, the, the Aqua Teens, all they have is each other. And we, we really saw it in that moment. It's just such a great way to wrap up that episode. And I don't think that, you know, Matt and Dave really thought about that at the time but I, th I think it's just brilliant that these characters at times they kind of hate each other but then once they realize that they are all that they have together they will band together to to take out the bad guys which which you know they've done a lot with aqua teen and it's kind of the previous episode the does this in a similar way and there's been some awesome discussion over on the discord people talking about you know how the shows how the characters all kind of need each other. And, and of course, I talked about that in the episode as well. And this is another example of that, but done in a different way. Anyways, to give my rating on this one, I think I'm going to give it five candy cane shotguns out of five. I just, I wouldn't change a thing. This episode is so fun. It's so great. Honestly, I think this is a good one to show somebody their first time getting into Aqua Teen. Maybe it would give the impression that the show is darker than it typically is. But just the dialogue here, this episode is so quotable. Just watching it, all these lines just come flooding back to just always living in my head. And, and, and some of them I think about daily, and I, I just didn't realize they came from this episode. So before we head out here, I, I want you to know after the, uh, the outro music, I'm going to kind of give you a mini episode. I want to talk a tiny bit more about the documentary because there's a really cool clip at the end of the documentary where... Basically, they had Mike Lazo sitting in, which Mike Lazo was the head of Adult Swim and, you know, like a founder of Space Ghost and all that stuff. Mike Lazo, very important guy. As I discussed with Jay in our interview, Lazo typically did not see scripts until they aired. They typically, like, he didn't sit in on, on many script readings, but he did for this one. And basically, he has them reiterate what the episode is about back to him because he had a kind of a hard time following the script reading, which I do not blame him because it was kind of confusing if you didn't see the episode. So I want to play that at the end, and I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. So stick around after the uh, outro music and everything so you can hear that, because I'm really excited to get into that. But one last thing I want to mention about the documentary until then is that it seems like when they were writing the script, they were toying with the idea of Meatwad and Carl going to mental institutions. Like they were going to have them go, go to a mental institution because they were seeing this crazy shit on TV and that kind of thing. Obviously, they ditched the idea. I think it's best that they did. I like that the episode basically only takes place at the Aqua Teen's house, but just wanted to let you know that that's kind of a direction they were thinking of taking the episode in, like the TV was making people go insane. But all right, that is it for me this week. Well, not really if you keep listening, but uh, until then, thank you to every Moon Master, everyone subscribed over on Patreon for supporting the show, keeping this thing chugging along. This show is listener-supported, of course. And hey, if you like it, if you're still listening, I assume you do, if you could kick a few bucks to support the show, it really, really, truly helps out. So until then, let me shout out the number one in the Hood G tier patrons, our uh, our $10 tier patrons, Sean, Ian, Captain Buford, Brian, Robison, and Reverend Raven 46 You guys can take the discarded TV off of my curb any day of the week. I'll see you next week when we dive in to Bashington's New Year's party. I'm really excited because I haven't even watched the whole thing yet, so I'm so stoked to see it. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.
All right, so the thing I want to focus on here is Mike Lazo in this documentary at the end at the script reading. Again, he normally didn't show up to these things, so I have to wonder if they were nervous. They kind of seem nervous, like they're trying to sell it to him a little bit. Um, and, and like I said uh, just a little while ago, they go through the script reading, and Mike doesn't say anything like that because because it's uh, the four guys who work on the show who are uh, who are reading through it. So he's asking for clarification on the episode, and at the beginning of of the script reading, Mike tells Nick Incantanawat, who is filming, like, don't film me. I don't want to be filmed or whatever. And Mike is sitting off to the side. And that makes it difficult because I wanted to see Mike's reaction to the script reading and I never really could. But anyways, after the script reading, he asks them to kind of uh, describe what is really going on in the episode, which I don't blame him because there's a lot of visual elements here that didn't really seem fleshed out yet. So it makes sense he would be confused by all this. So I'm going to play basically Mike asking the question, and then I'm going to play you, uh, Matt, Dave, and, and the other two guys kind of chime in, uh, Ned and Jay, with with what the episode is kind of about. But I think it's cool. It's a really unique experience here to hear the guys who make the show describe the episode and kind of give some of their thoughts on some of the the plot points and stuff. So... Well, before I drop you in, I have to remind you that this was all filmed on, like, camcorder audio, so the audio is dog shit. I did my best to clean it up. It's still not amazing, but, uh, hey, hopefully you can understand what they're saying, and, and hopefully it gets the job done. I mean... Yeah, yeah that's a evil I think it's highly intriguing. Nick, if you don't get that fucking camera. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But explain it. They cloned the TVs, I get that. So, they, I mean, he's been destroying these TVs all throughout. season. So it's cool that we find out that he had a closet full of TVs. Right. That, and Shake and me, or Frylock had been cloning them. Right. But he says, look, you know, it's not for this. You abuse it. Genetic structure breaks down over time. You can't do it too many times. Right. So he does one last one for him, and it's already, like, the TV bounces and you know, sprays blood, and it shows images that may or may not be true, maybe maybe future, may just be some image to just make them paranoid and right. turn on each other. Right. So Meatwad, Shake and Meatwad watch it. Shake, uh, Shake sees himself cloning money, gets the idea to clone money. Mm. Meatwad continues to watch it and sees Frylock come in on the shake, see him clone money, and just blow him away. But it's like sort of like this sitcom <laughs> right, right, kind of right, thing. Right. So Meatwad gets freaked out, changes the channel, sees himself dancing with elves. Frylock comes in on that, blows him away. Right. Meatwad loses his Right. Frylock sees that it sprays blood. Something's wrong with that TV. He takes it to the curb. Carl's takes it. Right. Then he comes in on shake. Shake is now cloning the money. Just like in, know, in reality. In reality. Okay. Yeah. Frylock says, you know, you can't do that. But then when Shake leaves, he's like, he's like, hmm, yeah, maybe this would be cool to do this. You know. Mm -hmm. So he does it. The young Shake saying you can't do it in reality. And he starts doing it. First yes. he thinks he's gonna do it for good, and then he's like, no, I'm gonna open up a family restaurant. Yeah, he's like, I can use it to, to cure, you know, solve world hunger. Right. Change a family style restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so I mean, he gets kind of it, you know. <laughs> he just kind of gets driven by greed. Shakes driven by greed. These guys sort of turn on each other. Meatwad's paranoid, so he's got a gun. So they're all freaked out in the room full of money. And then because the genetic structure of the bills is breaking down, this paper, George Washington comes out of the cloner and tells them, you know, your greed, your greed will destroy you. And they just blow him away and say, you know, we shouldn't, 
<laughs> Do they all have guns? Yeah, maybe shake flaming arrow. Alright, well when you explain it like that, I follow. Yeah. Uh, it was hard for me in the script to realize that the TV scenes were influencing right. the other scenes. Yeah. It'll be clear when you see it. Yeah. From coming in on the first read, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to go from meet what to meet what on the TV, shake shake on the TV. It's, it's a lot of. I mean, we got it worked out structurally. All right, so that's basically that. And then I want to play you. Uh, we'll go out on my one of my favorite clips from the documentary. We have Nick and Katanawat asking what it is for, as in what they are filming this for. And Dave, he gives a, a response that. Only Dave could give. What are you guys going to use this stuff for? We're going to jack off at home to it. 